0: Hello. Before we get into the show proper, Sam and I wanted to make a quick addition to this episode. Sam is sick, so you get to listen to me, but the crux of it is that this episode was recorded before SAG-AFTRA released their updated guidelines for podcasts in light of the current writer and actor strike. Under those new guidelines, companion or rewatch podcasts like Growing Up Skywalker occupy kind of a tricky spot in regards to this strike. So even though they're technically not promoting the material produced and owned by struck companies, they do drive traffic to that struck media. And so Even though Growing Up Skywalker is not a union podcast and Sam and I are not part of SAG-AFTRA, in solidarity with the striking creators who are, we spent a couple days deciding how to best move forward and we came up with this. If you are a person who normally watches along with the show, so you listen to our episode and then you go and you watch the content that we're covering or vice versa, we would like to propose that you skip that practice until the strike has concluded. We hope that we give you a detailed enough plot summary anyway, so that you don't have to watch the content we're covering 100% of the time. But also, this helps to not inadvertently cross a picket line, which is important to us, Because we also just want to say that without actors and writers, none of the content that we love can exist. So we owe this to them. We are in solidarity with them. We wish them the best of luck and all of our support. And thanks. And that's what we got. So on with the show.
1: For those who know every line, and for those finding Star Wars for the very first time, welcome to growing up Skywalker. Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we are doing two fantastic early episodes of Rebels, Droids in Distress, and Fighter Flight.
0: I was very much like, surely they mean fight or flight, and they did not.
1: No, it's very much what it says on the tin. (laughs) So let's start off with Droids in Distress.
0: Season one, episode three. Welcome to the early days. Mm -hmm. What happens in Droids in Distress?
1: Droids in Distress starts with the ghost being chased by TIE Fighters. It's just a classic Star Wars scene. They are just not able to put anything together. And so they are planning on doing a job for Vizago.
0: It's a very Bad Batch-esque situation. They're low on everything. They need to scrape dinner together for their family. (laughs) And so instead of going to Cid, like the Bad Batch would do, they go to Vizago.
1: Then we cut right into the job, which involves all of them separately pretending not to know each other, boarding a passenger shuttle, which is exactly the same passenger shuttle you'd get on if you went to Disneyland in the 90s <laughs> for the Star Tours, right? It's even got the same pilot. What's going on is that there's Minister Tua, who is this human woman, imperial, and she's trying to get a crate of weapons from this dude. And through shenanigans, they managed to get her translator, who just happened to be R2 and C3PO, sent to the back of the bus.
0: Yeah, this is an R2 and 3 po mess around slash cameo arc. Love it.
1: So this fake situation ends up happening so that C-3PO is replaced by Sabine, who just pretends to be an up-and-coming Imperial student. She translates, and then when the shuttle lands and everyone gets off, they tell her the wrong spot to go. So the ghosts make it to Shuttle Bay 7, and they find their crate of weapons, which happens to be disruptors. Now, importantly, disruptors were used for all of Zeb's backstory in the destruction and genocide of his people, the Lassat. So he is completely aghast with this. However, Minister Tua pretty rapidly realizes what is going on, and this all results in a shootout back and forth. They make it back everyone eventually escapes after a bunch of clobbering and they get back to some random spot on Lethal. and they start selling these disruptors to Vizago. And Zeb is very, very conflicted about this. He's like, we can't sell these. We can't let them fall into the hands of the Empire. No one's really taking him seriously. And also as part of their escape, R2 and C-3PO just happen to get sent aboard the ghost because R2 is like, these guys seem like they know what they're doing. I'll follow them because there's a massive shootout going on. However, C-3PO is like, I need help. I'm calling the cops.
0: He turns traitor. He doesn't
1: know any better. He, he has no memory. He turns traitor,
0: Sam. This is unacceptable.
1: So in the middle of nowhere on Lethal, all of a sudden, a Gazanti carrying two ATDP walker pods lands. Visago's like, deuces, steals half the crates without paying anyone. And a shootout ensues that's extremely exciting. Hera is running around being chased by a pod. Kanan blasts a pod. And Agent Callis shows up and says, Lissat, fight me! As he pulls out a similar weapon to the bow rifle that Zeb has. No, he
0: comes out swinging an actual bow rifle. And...
1: Zeb reveals, as part of his backstory, only the honor guard of Lasan can carry one of these. And Kallus is like, I know, I took it from their corpses. I was there. I, the one who genocided your people. And that is enough to invoke Zeb's dual instinct.
0: His rage.
1: Yes. So while everyone else is running around, R2 and Sabine are like, hey, let's wire these crates of disruptors for explosives and save the day. Kanan and Ezra are running around, Hera's running around, and Zeb and Kallus are dueling. They're fighting back and forth. However, Zeb is not, you know, emotionally stable from learning this information, and he's about to lose. So right as Callus is about to just coup de grime, just cleave his head clean into Ezra, who's been complaining about not being able to do his Jedi training this whole time, Says no, and force pushes Callus about 50 feet into a wall.
0: Baby's first force push.
1: So everything is resolved. Everyone is able to escape. They killed a ton of stormtroopers. They didn't get paid. However, they're like, well, I guess we can sell these droids. And C-3PO is like, I'm sure our master would pay handsomely for us. And we cut to C-3PO and R2's master, who is, of course, Zaddy Bail Organa.
0: I forgot. I forgot! I forgot it was Zaddy Bale!
1: And he's like, hey, so here's a bunch, uh, way more money than you were going to get for selling the Disruptors. And then as the Specters leave, he's like, all right, R2, show me what you have on these Rebels.
0: They had a secret mission all along. Mm -hmm. It was to record everything. Bale Organa knows what's up. He is spinning his little Rebel web. Yeah. I love him. (laughs)
1: So although that was a quite serious episode in terms of Zeb's character backstory and perhaps recruiting the Spectres to be rebels, then we cut to Fighter Flight.
0: Which is delightful. (laughs) Fighter Flight is a total tone shift. It opens with Ezra and Zeb going at it because Chopper is a mischief gremlin. He takes all of the bolts out of Ezra's bunk bed He falls right on top of his roomie, who is Zeb. Can you imagine? And then they're just going at it hammer and tongs. When Mama Bear Hera appears on the balcony, one hand on her hip, absolutely, hashtag, not impressed with her squabbling children. Mm -hmm. And she sends them off to the market on Lethal to run an impossible errand. Which is like, A, yes, resupply the ship for us. And B find her a Meilu run, which does not grow on Lethal.
1: It does not. And she knows
0: it. And she totally knows it. So in the market, Ezra finds an importer of Meilu runs who promptly sells that crate of fruit to the Imperials. And so Ezra decides to steal one from their little cargo cruiser you know, first he's trying to use the force. He's not actually good at it yet. So he just climbs up, he grabs one, and then the whole squad of stormtroopers immediately notices. And they have to go on a wild goose chase through the whole city. Zeb ends up commandeering a TIE fighter.
1: He just Godzilla's on board it and then like, pulls the pilot out and yeets him. And he's like, I've never actually flown one of these before. And he's flying through the Lethal city streets sideways in a TIE fighter, shooting randomly, just he, causing like, all sorts of ruckus. They
0: blow up the nice fruit seller's <laughs> fruit stand. Unforgivable. But at least the
1: Imperials will get blamed.
0: There is fruit goo everywhere. <laughs> anyway, so they're headed back to the ghost. And then there's a side plot. Ezra had met Mr. Sumar... In the market, Mm -hmm. it was an old friend of his parents, and the empire, for undisclosed reasons, want his farm. So they blow up his farm and imprison his entire family and shackle them to the outside of this imperial transport. Mm -hmm. And then Zeb and Ezra go after the imps. Ezra taps into the force to unlock them from the side of this tank. It's the first time he's been able to use the force on cue. Mm -hmm. The prisoners all get away safely. And Zeb is, like, strafing these transports from the sky with his TIE fighter. It's very hip. It's extremely cool. And Ezra, as he's on top of the transport fighting off these troopers finds the crate of Melu runs yep. and starts hawking them at the troopers. And he grabs the last one and he's holding it like Tom Brady with a football <laughs> in the last down. That was the extent of my football language. <laughs> he's correct. hopping all over the top of this tank. He's trying to not get shot. And then he ends up sticking a wrench in the cannon hole of this tank and blowing it up. And then Zeb flies by, flips the TIE fighter upside down. He's dangling outside of the top like a trapeze artist. Mm -hmm. He's flying with his feet. And then they go yeeting off into the sunset. Great success. It's a total victory.
1: So they get back to the ghost. They walk back to the ghost because they're like, oh, yeah, we crashed the TIE fighter on landing. Here is your one melee run fruit.
0: They have this lovely moment where they're headed back home before they crash the TIE fighter. Mm -hmm. And Zeb and Ezra have been squabbling the whole episode about who saved whose life and who owes who. And then Zeb finally says, let's just say we are eternally even. Mm -hmm. And they have this beautiful moment where they're like, oh, yeah. We brothers now. And then they get home and their dad, Kanan, is very proud of them. He's like, this is exactly what I like to hear. You done the mischief. You done good. And when they get back to their room, Sabine has immortalized the bunk bed incident in the funniest, godforsaken, spray-painted mural I have ever seen. (laughs) I laughed so hard watching this last night. I almost threw up. There were tears coming down my face, and I was, like, heaving for breath. And so that's the episode. That's
1: the episode. It's such a lovely tone shift. It's Surprisingly, there's so much character growth and talking about who each character are in both of these.
0: Yeah. So we unlock one additional backstory, which is Zeb's.
1: And... A lot of Ezra's force powers, because that comes up a lot in fight or flight.
0: Yeah. So I was keeping track. I think if we're looking at kind of the meta purpose of joys in Distress, Mm -hmm. it was two things. It was one, give us a little bit of an understanding of one of the rebels, which is Zeb. Yeah. And then the other point seems to have been to show that Bail Organa is out there organizing some sort of rebel force or at least keeping track of existing rebel cells.
1: The other thing is that R2 knows that he's on a secret mission to prevent the disruptors from falling into Imperial hands. C-3PO knows nothing, but R2 can like prod C-3PO in certain directions. And so the whole thing was like a setup within a setup Mm -hmm. and R2 and C-3PO, like, just because they're normal, like, level 100 droids, were able to, like, roll with the punches and get out of this with no one being the wiser that they were even part of it, which is very fun.
0: I know. It was an entire Russian nesting doll. Uh It was the C-3PO R2 plot inside of the Spectre plot, inside of this arm steel that I guess the Minister of Lethal was setting up with the Empire.
1: Yeah. Well, she was trying to grab these. So the weapons were T7 disruptors and we get to see one of them in action. And so these big ATDP pods, they're like smaller, wimpier versions of the ATSTs, the big chicken walkers. And so, I mean, they're five years earlier or whatever. And Kanan shoots one of them once with a disruptor and it immediately is covered in sparks, arcing lightning and falls over dead.
0: So, yeah, actually, I guess a third point, you know, capital P point Mm -hmm. of Droids in Distress was just more evidence of the Empire being a horrifying fascism machine. There's that line that Hera gives to Ezra when she's unlocking Zeb's backstory for him. When she says, do you know what a disruptor does to an organic being? Yeah. And then we find out that the Empire orchestrated a genocide of the Lassat people on mm. Lasan. and Agent Callus was the one who gave the order.
1: We also learn that Zeb was a member of the Honor Guard of Lassan.
0: Mm, I didn't pick up on that.
1: Because he says only the Honor Guard of Lassat are able to carry the bow rifle. And so that's why he has one.
0: So... Let's talk a little bit about what we learned and why it's important. Yeah. So we have an emerging picture, an emerging story of where the crew of the Ghost has come from and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So we know Hera's backstory from Bad Batch. Yeah. But we would not have had it when Rebels came out.
1: Not yet. I mean, everyone gets their own little backstory episodes, particularly in the first season. Okay, gotcha. So we're going to be going through and learning a little bit more about why everyone became part of the Spectres as we go on. Okay. I don't think it's as important to do really deep dives into these characters so much as like what they're doing now, particularly because it's brought up a lot in fight or flight when they're sitting there like at the ship and Kaden and Hera are like, wow, sure is quiet with the kids out. You know? <laughs> and that's so true because they do think of them a little bit as, as kids. And that means that they're still works in progress.
0: Gotcha. I guess if someone's going to throw me a bone and give me a backstory, I want to dig into it. Yeah. Because my reaction as a first time viewer of at least the first two episodes of Rebels was like, wow, Zeb has a rage problem. Mm-hmm. He did almost get Ezra killed. In the second episode of the series, out of pure spite, yeah. he, like, shoves Ezra back by the by the scalp, by mm-hmm. the face, and then Ezra could have gotten killed. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that is unforgivable. But then we get Zeb's backstory and his constant rage and his giggling when he does damage to the Empire makes sense. <laughs> you just have to wait three episodes to get there.
1: In part of fight or flight, as they're running along and they're climbing aboard the rooftops, Zeb is getting shot at a whole bunch as he's just like scampering up a wall, spider-manning up a wall. And then he just decides to goomba stomp two freaking stormtroopers. He just flips over and stomps their head with his feet, with his hand.
0: With his hooves. Yeah.
1: Well, he's got big claws. And so he's just this... He's just this very scary monster and the fact that he revels in it I think is really fun. He has a surprising lightheartedness about him despite all the bad things that have happened to him. And I think that's interesting that like this is Happiest Zeb. He does have so many darker shades within him.
0: He wants revenge on the Empire for genociding his people.
1: He does and he knows he's doing the right thing. So – He doesn't want to sell these disruptors. The disruptors are illegal even in the empire. They're not allowed to be owned. So Minister Tua is running like a side hustle to get these things.
0: Yeah, there's kind of a throwaway section or line. And I'm trying to remember if this is even in the dialogue. But I think the Imperial Senate declared the disruptors illegal. Yeah. So we now know that the empire is undercutting the Senate. Well, that's.
1: That's kind of the way that like arms controls often work. Um, There's a lot of stuff in the news right now about like cluster munitions, but you have morals as far as you are willing to carry them. And especially with weapons, at certain points, people are like, well, you know, we wouldn't use those weapons unless it's an emergency. And now it's an emergency. But the thing is that the definition of emergency can be arbitrarily broad. Sure, And that's what Minister Tua is doing. She's trying to run a very profitable side business because- That's what an imperial minister is expected to do Mm -hmm. because you'll get framed for everything. So you're always a criminal. So you can always get like executed for no reason. The only thing you can do is curry enough favors and gain enough power to keep people from doing that. You got to stay on the top of the pile. And that's what she's doing. So I don't blame her. She's a goofball.
0: Hmm. She is not blameless in my book. I kind of love that Sabine makes a fool of her.
1: Sabine is fantastic in this episode. Well,
0: yeah. So what I was thinking as we were unlocking Zeb's tragic backstory, capital T, capital B, trademark, Mm -hmm. is that so now we know Hera's been a freedom fighter her whole life. Mm -hmm. We know what's up with her. We know Zeb is on a rampage to avenge his people. Sabine remains a giant question mark.
1: She does, and it's very – her – she's not a major part of these arcs. She does the trend, the false translation with Minister Tua. She does some art, and she blows up an ATDP. Like, she does explosions. She does art. She does translation.
0: That's a wildly divergent <laughs> skill set, Sam. You said that so casually.
1: Well, she's Mandalorian. So –
0: yeah. Maybe, or she just wears Mandalorian armor. Oh. Uh-huh. So she's
1: she's got a really fun backstory. I think my favorite part is at the beginning of Fight or flight as they're wrestling around through the ship. Sabine is just sitting there painting something, and Ezra's like, Hey, uh, if you ever want some inspiration, I'm like right here. Paints like, me like uh, one of your like,
0: French girls.
1: Yeah. So she has this aloofness about her, particularly with Ezra, which is funny because in the very first the very very first time they meet she's like if the big guy catches you he's gonna end you later good luck so she's willing to give everyone a chance but she's not like willing to actually open up to everyone about anything okay so and i think everyone as part of this little crew is distinctly damaged like kanan's got a lot of um I mean, he takes a lot of things in stride. He's just like, whatever. He's got this very bedraggled dad energy, which speaks to like hidden depths. They all have hidden depths.
0: Yeah. I was going to say Kanan is still very much a question mark for me. Also, Chopper. What is Chopper's friggin' deal?
1: Chopper's... That I mean, so we've already met Chopper, so we actually learned his backstory in The Bad Batch. We did, yeah. Um, he was in the back of a Y Wing during one of the battles on Ryloth, he got shot down, and Hera fixed him.
0: I forgot about that,
1: and they've been together ever since. But presumably, he got reasonably well scrambled in the crash, and also, <laughs> he's even older than our two.
0: How do you know that?
1: Uh, he's always referred to by like C three PO as this old R, this old C ten one P unit. Mm. So he's he's an old astromech. He is also just barely held together. Like it's obvious that a bunch of his parts were put in aftermarket. <laughs>
0: Maybe that's why he's so screwy.
1: Yeah, he's very screwy.
0: So since we're talking about droids, there was like one tiny note that I had about droid rights. Okay. Which is like, when did droids have to start going to the back of the bus? When did this become a Rosa Parks situation?
1: I think that there might be like a safety concern there of how astromechs are always saucy. And also there's little scomp reports everywhere. So if you're on like a passenger flight and someone's like, I know how to fly. Here's the controls. And you're like, wait, we're going places. It's like, so uh, keeping astromechs at least in the back is probably useful. And they might've just made the rule for all droids.
0: Hmm, This felt very much like a very small, oh, the empire is fascist and doesn't believe in equal rights.
1: I do think that, Anytime we find people who hate droids, they might have good reason. Any anti-droid regulations because of three years of separatist war. Of Clone Wars, Hmm. where droid infiltrators like blew up significant parts of Coruscant and there are droid armies rampaging all over planets in the Outer Rim and Mid Rim. So people are probably like, I don't trust any droids.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was picking up on sort of like an anti-droid sentiment. There's a very casual moment when they capture R2 and 3PO Mm -hmm. and Sabine is like, just throw a restraining bolt on them. Yeah. And that seems like... Because I'm primed to think about droid rights from way back in season one of the Clone Wars with R2 being the best Mm -hmm. and getting no equal treatment, maybe I was cluing into a wider sweep of anti-droid sentiment across the galaxy that the Empire is just perpetuating.
1: It seems in the Star Wars galaxy that anti-droid sentiment is always underneath everything in one way or another. There are very few places where droids are regarded as equals for like a lot of reasons. Hmm. And whenever droids do get together, they have like weird little governments or get into all sorts of trouble and mischief. So people are like, look, just, just do your own thing. And also, it's such a weird gradation of intelligence for droids, because it seems like you can get from a simple lifter which you just tell to do things like NetBee. b yeah or even something simpler or like an, a moisture evaporator or a little mouse droid on the floor and you're like okay how like smart is this thing actually all the way up to like c3po and i imagine having talked to a few ais recently doing some fun little research like If you ask questions at a certain depth with a certain background, you get the correct answer. But the actual intuition, as if you were talking to someone and had like a a different pattern, is not there. And so this whole gradation of things, people could look at a droid and be like, I don't know how smart that droid is if I can even have a conversation with it. Hmm. But... It's great to have R2 and C-3PO in a Rebels arc. I do feel like they just have to make their appearance in every single series. No,
0: I love it. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit too much to believe that 3PO would turn them into Kallus. Mm-hmm. It was just a little too perfect and neat. But I guess 3PO has always been just a cowardly, self-serving, worse half of R2.
1: Well, It also means that whatever he was programmed was his mission. He didn't blow cover, right? Because if he had been captured by other bad guys, like actual bad guys, not good guys pretending to be bad guys, and he hadn't called the cops as soon as he had a chance, his cover would be blown. Oh. Yeah. And also, he doesn't know that the rebels are actual rebels,
0: I think that's ascribing a lot of goodwill to 3PO's character and I don't know that I'm willing to no, do it today. No, it's not
1: goodwill. It's just it's just ignorance. He oh. just has his memory wiped and it's like if this then that, if this then that and he just follows his directives and he's good to go.
0: Okay. It was binary. It was. It was just ones and zeros. Ones
1: and zeros all the way down.
0: Wow. Now I feel like the droid supremacist. Exactly. The, the anti droid supremacist. Exactly.
1: You're ascribing motive to <laughs> someone when logic would dictate their actions and they they follow their actions logically. I mean everyone does that.
0: Way to point out that I'm a bigot. Yeah, for real. <laughs>
1: So I just want to talk about how hilarious fight or flight is.
0: I have not laughed that hard in so long.
1: I could hear you like across the house cackling.
0: I could catch my breath.
1: This episode is so funny. It's got great little back and forth. There's a very funny scene where they're flying in the tie. They they radio to the ghost. Like we got the supplies. Good. We lost them. (laughs) Less good. We got a Melu run. How? We stole a TIE fighter. And they're like, oh, my God, what are you up to? You disabled the locator beacon, right? And Zeb's like, of course we did. And Ezra's just like, oh, shoot. And he's like wiggling around under the seat. He's like, is it the red wire or the blue wire? And Zeb's like, I think it's the red wire. And Kanan says, it's both.
0: And, and so- Ezra's like, oh, yes, we totally did that <laughs> immediately as soon as we got in. No worries over here, Dad. <laughs> we love you.
1: And they're just crammed in this TIE fighter cockpit. They're flying around. Zeb is like waving as they're coming and flying in over the convoy. Zeb is like, this is uh, Commander Meluron. <laughs> <laughs> and Ezra just smacks him. He's like, that's the best you could come up with. Ah. And then on top of the little convoy, Ezra's fighting and the stormtrooper recognizes him. And he's sitting there with the Meluron. And storm- <laughs> you did all this? For fruit? (laughs) And then as Ezra's bouncing aboard the TIE fighter, he screams, oh,
0: for fruit, baby. (laughs) I lost it. I lost it. I lost it at the mural, too. Yes. That is the funniest effing illustration I've seen in so long.
1: And then Sabine says, well, you said to use you as an inspiration. I paint
0: what I see.
1: (laughs) They all... Everyone has such a good time in this episode and getting the relationship equalized between Zeb and Ezra, I think is really important because as you said, when they first met, Ezra doesn't know how much to trust Zeb.
0: Well, Zeb is fundamentally untrustworthy. He's on such a loose wire at all times that I was actually, even just three episodes in, starting to get uncomfortable with mm. the unprovoked hostility coming from Zeb. So I think that on a more serious note, if we hadn't had that very fast characterization for him, I would have started to form this like weird grudge against him as a character.
1: Interesting.
0: And yet, in this episode, in fight or flight, the brotherhood vibes are immaculate.
1: Yes, and now they're friends, and then they end with chasing down Chopper because, like, this is all your fault, and Chopper's just like.
0: I just, I smiled so big. They love each other.
1: Yeah, they do, and now they're um, now they trust each other because that bond was was forged in. In a Mutual car Mutual danger.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the transition from enemies to brothers was so clean. Mm-hmm. I did love it. I, I almost wrote in my notes, I never had a brother. What is this like? And I was like, wait.
1: You do have a brother.
0: I literally have a brother. I just never had a brother like this.
1: Yeah. This is more how like my brother and I got along. Because I was going to
0: say. We
1: have a five-year age gap between us and I'm the older one. And... Up until, like, my brother's junior year in college, I was quite a bit bigger than him. Now Mm -hmm. he's taller and wider than me, but... uh,
0: He's still... He's a a scrawny boy.
1: He is, but he's really muscular. He's, like... He's built like Zeb. And this was our thing of we'd run around, we'd get into trouble, the trouble bonded us, and, Mm. like, it's not really lying but it is like let's not let's be economical with the truth (laughs) about what we were up to because you know not everyone needs to hear everything they'll just worry
0: it just seems like you have someone built in to mess around with they always have your back zeb came back for ezra driving with his toes dangling out of a freaking tie fighter That was the most majestic rescue (laughs) I've ever seen.
1: Uh, It's such a funny episode. And it shows a really important thing with Ezra's connection to Lothal. Ooh. So this is not something that we've gotten to see other Jedi do up until Kenobi, which is like be part of the community.
0: That is such a great point.
1: So Kenobi is like, hey, my let's call him brother-in-law, lives in town and we don't talk much and i work at a factory. But Ezra is recognized in the streets by Mr. Sumar. Yeah. And and Ezra's like, "Oh, hey Mr. Sumar, he's been everywhere. He's like the little street rat everyone knows, everyone knows his parents, everyone knows who he is." And that's really important because the connection that Ezra has to Lathal is part of his driving force.
0: Yeah. Ezra is still a small question mark to me because we obviously haven't gotten his entire backstory. We know his parents are dead. Mm -hmm. We know he's been living alone on Lethal. He is a newly discovered Force-sensitive person. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of fun to see these ties that he has across the community. And I hadn't realized that that was something missing from the entire Clone Wars, was people with a connection from where they came from.
1: Yeah, I feel like that would be kind of the ideal way to be a Jedi. It's actually talked a little bit about in one of the Legends books, Luke Skywalker is like in a bar somewhere and some random alien is like, you Jedi, I need judgment. And they have like a King Solomon moment where he's like, has to make a judgment for someone. And I feel like that's actually a good way for a force user to be is to be a part of the community as a peacekeeper rather than a peacekeeper with a laser sword
0: interesting and that's something that kanan does not get to do no
1: because kanan's a criminal mastermind
0: (laughs) well i was gonna say he's a jedi in hiding but do tell me more about him being a criminal mastermind
1: he's not an arms dealer he's an arms restributor Redistributable. Redistributable.
0: I He's, honestly was shocked that they got that line correct in even the voiceover. I was like, that's a really hard word to say on a children's show. <laughs> Redistribution.
1: He doesn't take Zeb's concerns about the disruptors seriously. And I think that shows a fundamental weakness for him that he does not have the empathy for Zeb. He's like, hey, I've been through some stuff too, man. Like we're just trying to get by.
0: Well, I was going to say one of the most delightful parts of both of these episodes was the solid framing of Hera and Kanan being mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Hera is a great mom. She did make Kanan look bad in Droids in Distress in comparison. He totally blows off Zeb. He ignores Ezra asking about his Jedi training. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the contrast between Hera being so on top of everyone's emotional health and happiness and well-being that it makes Kanan look really bad.
1: It does. Everyone has room to grow. And we're kind of coming into this with the characters are damaged as is. Hera is
0: flawless. Take her name out of your mouth.
1: We need to forge them into something more
0: hmm
1: everyone right now has just been scrambling to survive like ezra even before he met the specters and the specter team is like hey we are out of money you know we all these jobs are not going off well we are not prudent in our finances we don't have like good cover for anything or
0: it's expensive to have a family it
1: is so we're trying to we need to we're we're making these compromises with our morals. And they are a very moral group of people. That is what every conversation they have is about the morals. It was in fight or flight. Ezra's like, oh, I recognize that farm. Let's scan for where they're being taken. And Zeb is like, Well, of course we're gonna do this. Of course. What's the worst that could happen? We could die. It doesn't matter. We have to do the right thing. So they all have this very strong moral compass but they're also all incredibly damaged. And so we're building them through these bonds. And this was like the bond between Ezra and Zeb is, remember that time we stole a TIE fighter together? And we had to like, ah, like you were running across the rooftops and I was flying the TIE fighter sideways and I had to loop you in. Like
0: Remember when I called myself Captain Lu run to the yeah. Empire?
1: Like that's the kind of thing that makes a adventuring party accrue a family. Stick together through thick and thin is these stupid little things. And ironically, I think that makes fight or flight a stronger episode than Droids in Distress.
0: Oh, interesting. Droids
1: in Distress is definitely darker. And it shows off that Zeb has reason to hate Callus specifically, who's proven himself to be like the at least frontline big bad for the Phoenix. We've yeah, at least seen the him. medium bad. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty serious bad guy, and he keeps watching them fly away after getting beat by them or beating them. And that gives an immediacy to the larger situation, and it shows why Zeb is damaged. But then he's able to push through in fight or flight and be like, I'm no longer moping about my people. I'm okay with having a roommate, being the only person in this ship with a roommate. This is fine.
0: Well, I was going to say, I think you're right that fight or flight is the stronger episode, which is interesting because Droids in Distress covers a lot more. But the pacing and the structure were a little janky. I think I talked maybe in the first two episodes about how some of the Early and mid-season Clone Wars were messy because they crammed so much action in. Mm -hmm. But Droids in Distress was messy in that it took us to one too many places. Mm -hmm. We start out on the Imperial transport, and then we're getting off the transport, and then we're on the Ghost. And then we're at this undisclosed location for the arms deal, and then we're back on the ghost. And it was almost too many scene changes, whereas I think in Fight or Flight, the action felt very smooth. It came full circle. We landed in the same place where we started with a different set of characters because they learned and grew along the way. So it felt less messy than Droids in Distress.
1: That's an interesting take. I agree with you in sort of the pacing, but I think it's important to note basically all of Rebels, unless explicitly said otherwise, happens on Lothal. Yeah. And so that's fun. It means that the ghost is just like bipping into hyperspace and then like pulling a Yui and bipping back with a new transponder code like two seconds later.
0: I was going to ask, how big is Lethal? Because they're doing a lot of mischief on one planet.
1: Well, it has a big capital city as all Star Wars planets do. And it's a single biome planet as all Star Wars planets are. <laughs> this one is like prairie with, you know, big, big rocks. It's just a big grass plained planet, which is interesting.
0: With cool sandstone stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's got to have at least enough people to support an imperial presence. And I don't know. It's Star Wars. You could go through and say, oh, hey, if you're building a medieval town with two blacksmiths, it needs to have like 15,000 people or whatever. But this is Star Wars. So who knows?
0: I do want to go back to something that we kind of skipped over that you alluded to, which is that the specters. Mm-hmm. Are in this position where they're having to take jobs that compromise their morals. Mm -hmm. That's something that I wanted to talk about with the Visago job. Yeah, and I keep calling him Zhivago, Zhivago. like Doctor Zhivago, Doctor Petro (laughs)
1: Visago. I
0: have never once spelled Visago right in my notes ever. Anyway, the Visago job is weird because we get the framing that they are rebels. They're doing jobs against the empire. Mm -hmm. When they take the Vizago job, it turns out that it is sideways a job against the empire. They are keeping these disruptors out of imperial hands, but they didn't necessarily know that when they took the job. And they also don't know where the guns are going to.
1: Yeah. And so that is why the parents are also in need of a little bit of a level up because they know the right thing to do. But when it comes to nuance, when it comes to impact of actions, they're not 100% clear on that.
0: Yeah, it feels like the Bale plotline was almost a little bit forced when he says, I want to know everything about these rebels. Mm -hmm. And they don't quite feel like rebels yet.
1: Well, does anyone does anyone feel like a rebel? Captain yet?
0: Rex is a rebel.
1: Yeah. But what, what's he been up to for 10 years?
0: Oh, shoot. Yeah. It's been 10 years.
1: It's been 10 years oh, no. plus since we saw Captain <gasps> Rex.
0: That's a long time. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be so old when we <laughs> see him. My baby. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and that, that speaks to like what Kenobi was up to is, Hey, like the fight is done for me because it's been 10 years and like, I could go back. I could get back into it, but I would not be who I was at the peak of my power.
0: Bail Organa feels like a rebel to me, even though he's playing the inside game. He's part of the Imperial Senate.
1: That's because uh, he has a desk job.
0: <laughs> he, when you are
1: when you have an outside, when you have a, a blue collar job, I think it's a little bit harder to, to justify getting back into the thick of it. After retirement, but when you're like a politician, I mean, politicians stick around until their brains give out. So,
0: you know who we haven't been able to check up on in 13 years? Ryo Chuchi. Oh, yeah. I mean, her pension plan failed and we never heard anything else.
1: <sighs> yeah, there's there's quite a few people who we need. <laughs> we need. I'd love to see more of in the intervening.
0: You could say we need. We need. I would I would identify as a person who needs an update on Choochie.
1: There are quite a few people who have disappeared in canon and their loss is felt in what the galaxy is. But the fact that Rebels takes place almost entirely on Lothal shows if every planet has something like this, then maybe Ryo Choochie is part of this on Pantora and maybe... Rex is up to this on Coruscant doing very sketchy stuff. Like who mm. knows what everyone has been up to, all the survivors. Maybe Quinlan Voss is, you know, wearing a hut skeleton armor suit, just <laughs> doing weird stuff, dating size noodles. Who knows? I would
0: say yes. Hondo P, <laughs> that is what Quinlan Voss is up to. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, even if the Empire is being harried in this way on every planet, they do feel like this unstoppable force. I mean, someone signed off on Agent Callus to just genocide a population.
1: Agent Callas is scary unto himself.
0: He is just one of those banal evil people that just does evil things.
1: Well, also... He apparently has a star destroyer at his command, which is not a small thing. Like he's just driving around in a star destroyer, calling people. He sends down multiple Gazanti class like ships with just dropping ATSTs. His uh, equipment budget is rather large
0: for someone who has just been introduced to us as ah uh, yes, an agent of the Imperial Security Bureau.
1: Yeah, and he has to wear a stupid like almost Roman helmet, but he
0: he looks like. Corky, from, like Satine's nephew. You think from, he's Corky? I don't think he's quirky, but he just has such an innocent-looking face. And then <laughs> he does such heinous things.
1: Well, that's, that is the, the fascism right there, the banality of evil, the faces showing up and just being willing to do all these things. Callus cackling as he talks about how he ordered the attack on the Lasat, is really dark.
0: Yeah, it it made me wonder why he's pursuing the specters so hard. If he has this grand unlimited budget and he can call up a star destroyer whenever he wants, my initial thought was that maybe it was a weird completionist thing. Mm. Like he wiped out ninety nine percent of the Lasat and he sees one free Lassat somewhere and is like, I need to finish the deal. But I don't, I mean, that's just a headcanon. I don't know why he's pursuing the ghost crew so hard.
1: I think he knows the, I think he's just really good at his job. And his job is to snuff out these rebel cells. They're going to arise everywhere. The Empire empire has to quash them. Hmm. And I think he's quite good at that. He's able to put two and two together because Minister Tua is the one who calls him and says, oh, yeah, there was a bunch of humans, a droid, and a Lassat. And Agent Kallus is like, oh, I know that guy. Like, I'm putting two and two together. And he really needs to make sure that whatever rebels are going on, that they stay disorganized. Because once enough people organize, that's a government overthrow right there.
0: So it's interesting thinking about that brings up kind of the last big thing that I had wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. for Rebels so far. So we've got genocide, we've got tragic backstories, we've got Imperial agents who cackle as they taunt you and try to murder you. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, it feels like Rebels is holding these dark concepts pretty lightly And I was just thinking about the contrast between how Rebels handles dark topics and how maybe the Clone Wars or even Bad Batch would have handled them differently.
1: That's a good contrast to draw. I think Clone Wars grabbed them and made them into the big enemies and Bad Batch worked through them. Because Mm. Bad Batch is ironically a kid's show more than any other uh, Star Wars media because it is about how to raise a child. It's about (laughs) the way a child sees the galaxy and about the strength that a child has.
0: I guess in that sense, if you think about children's media as needing to work for both children and the adults who have Mm -hmm. to watch it with their children, then yes, I do agree that Bad Batch is a kid's show slash parent show.
1: Yeah. Now – Rebels is holding them lightly because that's also a way that young people are exposed to, and like everyone is exposed to the world. It is impossible to hold all of the negative weight of the world in your head without deeply becoming depressed and neurotic. Yeah. Thinking about climate change, rising autocracy, like on the regular will drive you batty. Yeah. And so having them held lightly of just like, yes, this is happening and we'll fight it when we fight it is just a way to survive. And I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, I thought it showed restraint Hmm. because the Clone Wars had a thing where they dragged us right into the gooey center of whatever terrible thing was happening. We did indeed see Ahsoka enslaved to Anakin. Yeah and Kenobi being whipped as he worked in a slave mine. Right? We did see in Bad Batch even we did see the entire slagging of Topoka City. Yeah. We were always grabbed by the hand and dragged straight into these heinous acts Mm -hmm. and it's just interesting that even though rebels isn't showing it i think we're actually getting a clearer picture of why the empire is the big bad so i thought it was pretty masterful treatment it's just quite different from what we've seen so far
1: it's very different also Keep in mind that Rebels predates Clone Wars Season 7, Kenobi, and all of Bad Batch. Mm -hmm. So, the tone of the world as a whole has gotten darker for a variety of reasons. When this show came out in 2014, the geopolitical situation was much more bright and vibrant than it is today with regards to autocracy, climate goals were much more realizable. And everything was, it's not that everything was happier, but we are still as a civilization dealing with the aftermath of the pandemic, of current and ongoing wars, of rising tensions between the US and China, and all these things result in a much darker world than 2014 was. And so this is a little time capsule.
0: Yeah, that was my final note, actually. So I think we were on the same page, Mm -hmm. which I was wondering about how this Rebels treatment of dark Star Wars themes came across then versus now. And I draw comparisons with Clone Wars and Bad Batch just because they're the other massive animated Star Wars shows we've watched. And I think Clone Wars was sort of counterculture when it came out in a little bit. And that has made it age really beautifully into a show that makes sense in 2023. And now watching Rebels in 2023, it feels counterculture to what we're going through now. Yeah, It is a time capsule. It makes me feel like it's 2014 again. It's just that sometimes I have a little bit of cognitive dissonance because what we're going through in the year of our Lord today feels more relevant to how Clone Wars deals with dark stuff, which is that it is immediate. It's in your face. You can't escape it, even if you want to.
1: Counterpoint. Rebels feels like a family show with three kids, and Bad Batch feels like a family show with one kid and like five dads. Yeah. Looking, Watching Bad Batch, I'm like, oh, so that's what it's like being an only child. And watching Rebels, I'm like, yep, that's what it was like.
0: Okay. <laughs> That is delightful,
1: but yeah, the the counterculture notes, I think, are something very much that we're going to explore always moving forward because each star wars, each each Star Wars, I guess, has been plugged into the zeitgeist of what's going on at the time and has been the story of heroes who fight against injustice,
0: hmm. yeah. I like that. I'm glad we're going to continue to explore it. Kenobi, having come out in 2022, felt relevant and current. It felt like it was of this moment. And there is kind of a nice safety of going back to 2014. I mean, 2014, the biggest thing that I was concerned about was like, great, there was no 2012 apocalypse. I'm in college. I'm doing class. I got to do my homework. I've got three jobs. And a full course schedule. And like that's what I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. We hadn't hit the dark years of 2016 forward yet. So it just kind of takes me back.
1: Yeah. It is funny to imagine 2014. I wasn't watching Rebels then. I wish I had been. I could have used a little bit of a bright spot. 2014 was a dark year for me personally, but that's because of a lot of reasons you you needed
0: more rebels energy i
1: needed more rebels energy i needed to say i'm gonna do the right thing and when i'm unclear about what the right thing is i'm gonna find out what it is
0: i am kind of inhabiting this rebels energy of i'm really not prepared to be doing this but i am going to do it because it is the right thing and so i am just gonna be another bozo on the bus Mm Just gonna be another revel on the ghost. I'm just gonna be another specter.
1: There you go. And just
0: do the dang thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I got out of it.
1: That sounds great. Let's uh let's see what these guys got out of it. I think it's time for Baywatch.
0: You think it's time for Baywatch? Yes. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch.
1: My babe for this one is the man, the myth, the Lassat, Zeb.
0: Yeah, uh, I love that. Tell me why. Uh,
1: Zeb has, you, you were talking about how like unhinged and unchained and on such a thin leash he is. And I'm like, no, he's, if this is an adventuring party, he is full single class barbarian.
0: Yeah. He just, he like, rages. He's
1: like, I don't have a lot of skills, but in combat, I am the scary one.
0: Yeah. And
1: I can do all sorts of feats of athleticism and if it's a if it's a strength check, I'll make it. And that's that's what he does and it's it's fun to see him inhabit it. We learned so much about his backstory. I think it's super critical to learn why he is in this state of emotional arrested development. I think that's really cool. And uh yeah, it's a-
0: I love that. My bay was almost Zeb.
1: Almost Zeb.
0: And then I went back to the notes that I took when I watched Joy's in Distress, and they just said, all caps, bolded, italicized, highlighted yellow, you know it's going to be Bail Space Daddy Organa. (laughs) And then my notes continue, in all caps, highlighted, bolded, how is he hotter and smoother and better every time we see him? (laughs) And that's the end of my notes.
1: (laughs) They did do some interesting aging with him. So uh, Jimmy Smits was whatever age he was in episode three. And it's interesting because it feels like Bale is maybe five, ten years older than Padme. But then because he was filmed in live action like 20 years after that and he was filmed older than that in the movies, him in Kenobi is like okay, that's like a seventy-year-old man playing no, a
0: like fifty-year-old, sixty-five.
1: Yeah, yeah. But cartoon Bail Organa, always whatever age you want him to be, and this is like slightly aged up from Clone Wars. Bail he Organa. is
0: delightfully finessed. He looks great. Yep. He just looks like he would see you crying at the bar. And would like buy you a glass of wine and pat your back and listen to your whole life story and just be so supportive and then hand you his card and say, if you want to talk more, if I can be your mentor, give me a call. He would get you an internship in the Senate. He would just be your number one foam fan finger space daddy.
1: I wish to also point out. He always has a cool car. And in this episode, he's flying a CR-90 Corellian Corvette, which is the very first ship, very first Star Wars ship anyone ever saw because it is in the opening scene of A New Hope. Oh. And he's flying that ship. And when you look at it, it's like here's a little pod, here's some guns and escape pods and like pods and stuff. And then it's just like stupid amounts of engines. He's driving around in the space equivalent. Of like an Escalade with an extra engine strapped on top of the engine. What? He is just so, it's like a stupid fast car. Too
0: cool for school. He's just too
1: cool for school.
0: Oh my God, I love him. <laughs> well, I'm voting Bay. I'm voting... I'm voting, <laughs> <laughs> voting Bay. Bae- la.
1: <laughs> oh man.
0: Which is puts him in like the top 15 of Baywatch because I think I have voted for Bale every time I've seen him. Every time
1: you see him, he gets it.
0: And he deserves it. (laughs) And I feel good about that. Well, it is my deepest desire that Bale would be in every episode of Rebels, so why don't you tell me what we're watching next and then tell me if Bale's going to be in it?
1: We are watching Rise of the Old Masters and Breaking Ranks. Oh. hmm These
0: are very serious episode titles. They
1: are very serious episode titles, and I regret to inform you that this is not the Bale Organa show.
0: Ugh, is he going to get a show?
1: maybe petition
0: for Baylor Ghana to be star wars space daddy forever okay
1: i was in the shower last night and i was thinking we should do a spice run of pitching star wars shows to each other yes right. let's do it this week so speaking of spice run
0: <laughs>
1: join us on patreon subscriptions start at three bucks a month and you can get our entire Two-year back catalog of Spice Run and Sam's Naval History Minute. All this stuff. It's super fun. We love to have you. And if you want more Skywalker that's just a little bit unhinged, it's a little bit barbarian raging, join us there.
0: Yeah, we do have a ton of fun on the Patreon. We also have fun on socials. So if you love Growing Up Skywalker, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Threads. There you go. Which has been delightful. And send this episode to your daddy.
1: Send this episode to someone who you bonded with over committing a felony.
0: Oh, I love that. I have no one to send it to.
1: Well, the day is young.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'll go out and steal some (laughs) melu runs from the empire. And we'll see you next Tuesday.
1: Bye-bye.